You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash Film School. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In 1978, our first guest today, Philip Noyce, directed the film Newsfront, which went on to win the Australian Film Institute Awards for Best Film, Director, and Screenplay. In 1989, Noyce achieved acclaim in the U.S. with the thriller Dead Calm. His greatest commercial success to date is the Tom Clancy spy thriller Clear and Present Danger. Noyce has also directed The Quiet American and Rabbit Proof Fence, which won the Australian Film Institute Award for Best Film in 2002. His latest film, Catch a Fire, a political thriller about the real-life story of South African hero Patrick Chamusa's journey to freedom, opens in theaters this Friday. Philip Noyce, welcome to Film School. Thank you. Uh, I thought I'd left Film School, but I guess as a filmmaker, you never leave Film School. Yeah, absolutely. Always learning. Always learning. That's the beauty of it. You never get on top of it, because uh, the audience keep moving, and they're your target. Yeah, they keep changing. You've got to keep up with them. Have, have you felt any movement in the audience in the last few years? Has there been a shift, say, in in a historical event, events that have been going on? Well, there's always a shift. It's not something that you can quantify. You just feel it in your bones. Yeah. And my bones are getting more feeling in them as each year passes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's true of all of us here. Now, how how did you uh, run across Patrick Chamosa's story? When, when did it first... Uh, Oh, that's a very, very Hollywood story. (laughs) You know, I'm having lunch in Orso Mm -hmm. (laughs) with a producer, and they pull out a script and hand it to me. Uh, Really? (laughs) Oh, is that right? One of those, huh? (laughs) Wasn't the the waiter that handed you the script, was it? I'm sure you get people handing you stuff all the time. Oh, yeah, you get caught (laughs) with people handing you stuff, yeah, but this was a a friend, uh, Papandrea from Australia, Mm -hmm. who was working with Anthony Minghella and and Sidney Pollock at the time, and so that's how I came across Patrick Chamuso, and I read the, the, the screenplay written by Sean Slovo, and I thought, wow, I want to I I take this magic carpet ride back to 1980s South Africa, which sounds surprising, I guess, because a lot of people were trying to leave South Africa in 1980, yeah. but I guess in one way I wanted to experience the maelstrom that was the apartheid regime, see it as the story told it from two points of view, mm-hmm. a white point of view and a black point of view, and experience all of the bitter divide of that time as a means of following this this guy's story, which is also the story of South Africa, mm-hmm. the miracle of South Africa and how it came out of that turmoil, the country, how the character of Patrick Chamuso comes out of that turmoil to the present. You know, it's a story of human evolution in many ways, uh, Catch a Fire. You know, I just knew that uh, I wanted to tell this story. Also, for other reasons, uh, you know, the, I think that this is a film that that shows us what we keep needing to remind ourselves, and that is that the greatness is in everyone. Mm. Um, it's the story not of one of the heroes of the struggle for freedom in South Africa, but one of the foot soldiers, an everyman who gave up everything for freedom. We're talking to Philip Noyce. He's the director of the new film, Catch Fire, which will open this Friday. Tell us a little bit about, let's see, that was Sean Slovo, who, who handed you, not handed you the script, but wrote the script. She's uh, 
the daughter, is it, of, uh, is it Joe Slova? Joe Slova. Joe Slova was a white South African yeah. um, who was uh, the head of the ANC, the African National Congress's military wing. And he, uh, he was the guy that trained Patrick Chamuso as a saboteur to come back into uh, South Africa and launch a single-handed sabotage attack against the biggest oil refinery in the country back in the 1980s. Mm. Now, Joe Slovo um, told the story of Patrick to his daughter, Sean. Mm -hmm. And Sean, in 1991, when Patrick was released from Robben Island, the infamous prison where Nelson Mandela and many of the other leaders of the anti-apartheid movement were incarcerated for many years, when Patrick was released, Sean Slovo spent three days with Patrick and took down his story. And then in 19, in 2000, in the turn of the century, that's when she decided to turn it into a screenplay, and that's the screenplay I read. Now, did that really take you back in reading the screenplay to the 1980s? You said that you, you know, when you went to visit. Yeah, well, right? I didn't. Hey, I'd never been there, but I wanted uh-huh. to go there. Yeah. I'd always been fascinated by that period, by the struggle um, in South Africa, and by the peace that came afterwards. And by going back, I thought it was an interesting way for me and hopefully the audience, to understand the bitter conflicts that divided people um, as a means of understanding the miracle that occurred out the other side. It was nice, too, that Derek Luke, who plays Patrick Chamuso, got to uh, meet and talk and and get direction from him, I assume. He certainly did. Patrick was a good director, too. (laughs) (laughs) He, He not only would help me with uh, with with Derek's part playing himself naturally, he's an expert on that. <laughs> but also, uh, having been there back in the 1980s, and me being an outsider, complete outsider, um, I needed all the help I could get. And Patrick uh, sometimes would even take to directing the extras, mm-hmm. uh, telling them how that how you know they should mm-hmm. behave back in that time, uh, as opposed to living in the rainbow nation South Africa today. Was there any particular direction as far as that? went that sticks in your mind as far as, you know, taking the extras today back to that yes, period there of was. time? Well, you'll see it. There's a, a scene near the beginning of the movie where the black workers outside this oil refinery are singing in their own African language a song of celebration because the African National Congress overnight has made a sabotage attempt on the refinery where they work, and they're singing a song celebrating that attack while they're being searched by white police and security officials. And um, Patrick was along visiting the set that day. And he didn't like the way that the, uh, the black workers were being searched, so he jumped into the middle of the frame, grabbed hold of one of the, the, the extras and said, no, man, this is not how we used to be searched. Mm-hmm. Being too kind to him. Mm-hmm. Come on, just grab hold of him, tip his bag down on the ground. And so he, he got yeah. to, to show how he was searched back then. It it really feels like you uh, captured the time and place. Uh, there's uh, the scene at the beginning of the wedding party, and what that highlights for me is the uh, the power of, and the importance of music mm. in in the uh, the struggle to end apartheid. Well, music uh, plays an important part in every South African's daily life. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, um, when you go see, if you go see this movie, you'll realize that it's a musical. Yes, and there's music almost from end to end. A lot of it is sung on screen, and a lot of it is sung as a chorus to the um, 
the, the story, and a lot of it is being sung by the central characters, including the American actor Derek Luke, who, of course, who comes from New Jersey. Yeah. Um, and um, But music played a big part in the struggle because, um, and as it did in the civil rights movement uh, here in America, yeah. you know, music used in, in when times are really bad, when it seems like there'll be no end to the misery, music, uh, songs that are sung when you're celebrating a victory, well, as it was Our here. The problem was to find this music because most of it is not extant. It's not recordings. We actually found one particular gentleman uh, called David Embata, who was a walking encyclopedia of these songs. They're called freedom songs. Mm-hmm. Came over to my hotel one day and sang a hundred of the songs continuously oh, wow. for three and a half hours. So he was the man <laughs> wow. who has the uh, the the title freedom song choreographer in the movie okay. and basically that means that from memory he would teach all of the extras many of whom were too young to know these songs how to sing them uh, and how to how to behave as a south african back in the 1980s now you uh, have a lot of south africans in the cast too did you was that difficult to put together or did was it no no cast? no it's um, it's a country uh, with uh, a long tradition of performance mm-hmm. um, and a very big theatre scene, so you know there's a lot of acting groups, a lot of a big reservoir of actors Great. there, and you know we we brought in two actors, Derek Luke to play the lead, and Tim Robbins to play the white South African security branch policeman who was his nemesis in real life, um, but otherwise everyone oh, really? uh, I, is I, from I, South Africa, yes. and um, other than my editor who I Bought from Australia, Jill Bilcock and my two cinematographers. One got sick and was replaced. Um, everyone else was on the crew was South African as well. So the uh, the actress who plays Precious, uh, Bonnie Henna. Bonnie Henna. Henna. Yeah, yeah, Bonnie Henna. Wow, what a fine she She's, is. Wow, she was very good. Was yeah, um, South African soap opera. Hmm. Really? TV soap opera actress. Huh? Um, well, everyone's a soap opera actress <laughs> in South Africa because that's not, there's not many movies. She has appeared, however, in a couple, um, and one of which was shown at film festivals here. Mill Valley Film Festival last year actually voted uh, her last film called Drum um, to be the most popular film of the year. So She's uh, a terrific yeah, presence on, on, in the film. Yeah, very amazing presence uh, and an extraordinary uh, performer. The fellow that played Joe Slovo is uh, South African too then? Yes, yeah. Joe Slovo is played by Malcolm Perky, who's a director at the Market Theatre in Johannesburg. Ah. Yeah. Did he bear any resemblance and have the same characteristics as Slovo? Because I was fascinated well, with that does. character. He's, he, his hair is slightly uh, darker than, than Joe's, uh-huh. but otherwise they look, they look very similar. Was he that quiet of a presence, uh, yeah. Slovo? Oh, yes. Yeah. yes, he was very similar, yeah. very similar, very personable guy. Uh, Patrick Chamuso, the real Patrick Chamuso, just last week at a, at a question and answer session we had in Atlanta, was asked about the enigma of Joe Slovo, yeah. this white man who was fighting for black freedom. And Patrick said, when I looked into the eyes of Joe Slovo, I saw my freedom. He was the first white man that I trusted. Oh, that's wonderful. This film, to me, you know, earlier on, you said it was about the the uh, common man being a, a hero, but it's also uh, about forgiveness too, and it's the whole South African story, and you really yes, conveyed that, that wonderful. Yeah, I mean, his his real story, uh, Patrick's real story, mirrors 
the bigger story of South Africa. And of course, that story is that when the white minority ceded power to the black majority, everyone expected that there would be retribution, that the streets would be rivers of blood, that there would be forced confiscation of land and facilities owned by white people. And under under the guidance of a, the wise leader, uh, Nelson Mandela, the opposite happened. And yeah. Patrick went to that university called Robben Island, a mm. prison where he spent 10 years, which became a think tank for the future of South Africa, because in their wisdom or their folly, the, the apartheid regime imprisoned all of their enemies on one big rock mm-hmm. out in the ocean. And there, Nelson Mandela, Water Sisulu, and the others got to spend a lot of time, decades in fact, thinking about the dream. What would happen if this country, if we, if we survive this, number one, if we get out of here, number two, and three, if we actually come to power? What kind of society will we create? And Patrick was there during that debate, and he is the living example of it, yeah. because when he got out, now in, in a, a black-ruled South Africa, where his former tormentor, yeah. played by uh, Tim mm-hmm. Robbins, uh, was now in a minority, lacking completely in power, Patrick met this yeah. man yeah. five years later, and... The results, well, you'll have to I'll yeah, yeah, we please, oh, yeah, yeah. go and see the movie and you'll see what happens. Yeah. It's a surprising encounter. We're speaking with Philip Noyes, and the film is Catch a Fire. I want to just briefly talk about Rabbit Proof Fence, which is one of my favorite films. Uh, and in, in many ways, you deal with the same kind of issues. The same, They're very similar in theme um, mm-hmm. about the separation of race. What did you take from Rabbit Proof Fence that may have translated into um, Catch a Fire? They are very similar um, because um, they're, they're about the strength of the human spirit, exactly. essentially, you know, in overcoming insurmountable odds. Of course, the Rabbit Proof Fence being the story of three Aboriginal children who undertake an, an epic journey across the outback of Australia. Mm-hmm. Patrick Chamuso's story, in some ways, takes that story and, and continues. Right, picks up where it left off. Because those yeah. three yeah. Aboriginal kids were running away from a re-education center Mm -hmm. that was trying to train them to be whites, in a sense. And this story is as if those kids, instead of just running away, had come back, had, had, you know, woken up in the desert one day and said, you know what, it's not good enough just to run away. We've got to bring down that, that institution. We've got to destroy all of those things that were imprisoning us. Well, this is the story of a man who does that. He decides it's not good enough to go to Mozambique. I'm going to come back and I'm going to do my little piece of contributing to changing the system. But he goes even further because this is a film, as you've pointed out, not only about the problem, but it's about the solution right. because this man evolves. He, he, he evolves to another position it's not based on running away. It's not based on fighting, but it's based on forgiving. The ultimate solution to the problems. Yeah, there, there's a recognition on the part of the people in charge in South Africa. I think at one point, uh, Tim uh, Robbins' character, Lieutenant Voss, says, uh, we've, we're, you're 25 million, we're 3 million. This thing is eventually going to be your country. Yes, of course. They had this recognition, but 
but they fought to the bitter end to hold on to. Well, I think that that's all, that was also interesting, and that was something that I was interested in investigating yeah. as well, which is, and I think that that was not just based on, well, a real fear, um, but I think the fear, the, the, the basis of the fear was this belief that okay. if black people came to power, they would be incapable of maintaining the institutions, the rule of law, and so on. And the miracle of South Africa, and that's a marvelous thing to examine in a story, is that the democracy that black South Africans established exceeded every, every expectation yeah. that anyone could have had. Yeah. The country is still the economic powerhouse of Africa, but it's a free country now. Well, even within Lieutenant Voss's family, you can see the spectrum of opinion. You can see the, the conflict even within the white, so-called white community the Afri- um, that, uh, that they were experiencing with the daughter, yeah. her hesitancies. and, and the- I mean, the thing is, it would be very uh, easy, but it would be uh, simplistic to say that all white people were evil in South Africa right. during the apartheid era. Right. Um, just as in America today, almost 50% disagree with the government policies. I'm sure that more than 50% of white South Africans at this time disagreed with aspects of of their government's policies, you know. Well, we've been speaking with uh, film director Philip Noyce. The film is Catch a Fire. Let me me ask you one more thing. In in your years, you said uh, early on, uh, talking about the name of our show, Film School, that you're always learning. Is there something that... uh is there a major lesson that you've learned from the beginning, say, with uh, Newsfront until today? Is there some something? Yeah, I mean, the major lesson that I learned um, on this film is to let go. Ah. You know, uh, the idea of a, of a director is someone that's directorial, that's in control. But um, on this movie, given that I was dealing with a complex history of a, another country, uh, another es- ethnicity. I really had to let go. I had to rely on people. Mm-hmm. I had to rely on my crew much more. I had to rely on advisors around me. Um, I couldn't be. I couldn't be in control of, of telling this story because it was someone else's story. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to be a medium, and I had to let people tell that story through me. And that also uh, went. Uh, uh, allowed me to sort of give up trying to control the actual mechanism of making the movie. I had this wonderful um, British, actually that was another foreigner, British um, camera operator called Alistair Ray, um, who also worked on Constant Gardener. And um, Alistair showed me that um, whereas for years I'd been trying to plan everything in advance, what shots would look like and so on, he showed me that often it's better to let the actors show you the shots by that I mean to let the camera follow the action and then let the operator find the frame at the dynamic moment that something's occurring. Hmm. Um, rather, and there, therefore you have a much more organic process rather than imposing a frame on actors who haven't yet portrayed the character or the moment that the, of the story they're telling. Um, so that was a real lesson, and I think lessons come all the time. It's absolutely essential, I think, as a a filmmaker, as a storyteller, that you leave yourself open to lessons because that's the only way you're going to grow. And we'd all like to keep growing, (laughs) even when our hair is no longer growing. (laughs) (laughs) So you have that problem, too. (laughs) (laughs) We've all got the problem, guys. Yes, yes. Uh, I think it starts at birth. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, thank you very much for being on Film School, Philip Noyce. The, the film is Catch a Fire, um, and it opens this Friday all over, um, all over, the, over, world. The, all over the world. All, well, not all over the world, but all over the world series world. <laughs> uh, yeah. I see. Okay. <laughs> it's happening in, in, okay, in is America it gonna, at is it gonna uh, be De- cinemas. Detroit or St. Louis? Who do you have? <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for being on okay. Film School. Take care. Bye-bye. 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 To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.